Rami. And I'm Shannon, and this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read, heard, or experienced to help all of us expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. Rami, what are we talking about this week? We're talking about the Academy Awards, uh, specifically a book called Oscar Wars um, by Michael Shulman. The uh, Oscars are something I'm actually obsessed with. Uh, I feel like we've kind of touched on this, but you know, Shannon, pre-Workplace Hugs, I had a little podcasting experience from doing a podcast with my friend Johnny about the Oscars. I did know that. We never once published a single episode, and I think we recorded like maybe half a dozen. Seriously? Why did you never hit publish? Because we never felt like it was good enough. Wow, we don't have that problem. No, but remember when we were doing it, you're like, oh, man, you've got like a lot of like very specific things about how we should do this and how we should record and how we need to prep. And because you learned a few things, it it set me up for eventual success here with Workplace Hugs. 200 plus episodes. Okay, I have a tangent already. Do you Shannon and the tangents, man? Do you have you always been obsessed with movies or like how is this cultivated inside of you? Movies? Yes. Uh, I've always really liked movies. Uh, When I was really little, there was a a movie store by my parents' house called Video Update. Uh Uh-huh. And on Tuesdays, you could rent two movies for a dollar. Uh-huh. And so my mom would let me rent six movies. Oh, my gosh. Uh, My mom, being an imported person, as she was... Didn't care about what I was renting, so I got to rent anything I wanted to as a um, impressionable youth. Like, how and old were you for context? I don't know, like eight, nine, ten, twelve. Crap! Like Talia's age, like that's young. Okay, to rent anything you want. Oh yeah, is the best. Wow. So I've always really liked movies. Movie stores have been my happy place. We've talked about it before. I used to volunteer at a movie rental store, like recently within the last few years yep uh and i've always loved movies and the oscars are like the pinnacle of movies right like everything builds to that like getting an oscar is like an oscar right like you think of people who are horrible actors or like have the a very wide uh birth of films Mm -hmm. but if they win an oscar like you're like no, no no we have to they may be like crazy now, like Nicolas Cage, but dude won an Oscar. Like yeah. he's a very talented person. And then on the other side, it's like people you forget about winning an Oscar for something they don't do anymore, like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Like they won an Oscar yeah. for writing Goodwill Hunting. Oh, wow. And then they didn't write didn't a movie again for like 30 years. So it's like. What else did they write? They haven't written anything. They wrote one movie recently with ridley scott but like nothing i would reckon yeah okay anyway no that's what i'm saying like they wrote goodwill hunting they won an oscar for goodwill hunting for writing it and then decided yeah we're good we don't need to write a single movie after this Hmm. so i love the oscars and it's just like the history i think there's a lot of really fun history with the oscars one of my favorite nights of the year is oscar night uh one of my friends who i met through my posters uh 
actually was like a intern at the Oscars. And so he got to be like a seat filler. So he got me like Oscar sweatshirts. So I have a few Oscar sweatshirts. Cool. By year. Um, And we play this game where we'll take all the nominees and we will uh, put them in a hat. And then everybody puts in a dollar and then picks out a nominee. So it's because you know how you can like do the Oscar thing where it's like, all right, yeah, everybody the ballot. What do you think? Mm-hmm. The ballot. And everybody's like, okay, we're all going to pick very similar things, but it's like based on having seen the movies or whatever. Uh, this game is much more fun. You can do it for any awards show. Uh, everybody puts in a dollar, pulls out a nominee. Yeah. And now they want that nominee to win regardless of if they think they will win or not. And at least it like levels the playing field because you may end up with a long shot or you may end up with the front runner, but like you don't get to dictate that. That's fun. So that game's fun, especially when Moonlight wins Best Picture and the person who had Moonlight was not expecting it. Um, it was actually really funny. So we were playing it. We had a bunch of friends over and one of our friends uh, worked for Lionsgate who produced La La Land. Uh-huh. But she had pulled Moonlight and she was like, if she's like, I don't even care. She's like, if La La Land wins, we all get a bonus because like the company would give them a bonus for the movie having one. Oh my gosh. And so when she thought that La La Land won, she was like super pumped. Then everybody found out that Moonlight had won and then she was like really sad, but then pumped because she <laughs> just dumped a bunch she of dollars the on her head. Pump. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the Oscars are the best. Okay, so tell us about then, like, what are we going to learn about the Oscars today? Oh, I think it just has, so this book is fascinating. It's like a history of the awards, um, goes through the entire history, kind of explains how it started, and then each chapter is broken up into either specific people, awards, or, like, timeframes, and it kind of pulls you from the beginning of the Oscars, like, how it formed, all the way through... Actually, in the postscript, there's a, in the epilogue, there's a section about Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. So, it, like, gets all the way to basically present, I would say. Yeah. And so, you kind of get, like, a really, you don't get every single year, but you get, like, the highlights. And you get pulled through kind of how the Oscars has shaped itself and how it's been shaped by, like, culture throughout that time. Cool. So, like, what did you learn and how does it apply to our lives? Okay, so the there's three main themes that I want to talk about that I think will get us all thinking about things or at least laying some seeds for when we need to think about things. Yeah. But, um, the first one is going to be sometimes you have to beat the system to change the system. The second one is sometimes you need to fix things multiple times. Oh, I like and that. Third one is even the absolutely worst idea could have some golden nuggets. I'm intrigued. Let's talk about beating the system to change the system. Okay. So this is all about a person named Robert Rich who does not Who the not hell exist. is that? Oh, okay. Does not exist. <laughs> okay. So the Oscars went through a blacklisting around the same time the uh, Red Scare and the McCarthy – uh, era was sure, happening. Sure, sure, sure. So the House Un-American Activities Committee was blacklisting communists, former communists, or uh, sympathizers of the Communist Party. 
those people got blacklisted. Uh, a lot of those people were writers. And so very, very famous writers, we'll talk about a few of them here, Dalton Trumbo, Michael Wilson, all were blacklisted. And so effectively what happened is if they could get away with it, they would write under a pseudonym. Whoa. If they couldn't get away with a pseudonym, they would have someone else submit it under their name, which he did for um, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. The other guy won the Oscar and then refused to give him credit for like 40 years. Oh, my gosh. So I had no idea. Yeah. So and you got to think that writers back then were very efficient in that they were writing like multiple movies a year. And if they weren't writing the movies, they're at least writing like the outline of the movie or like the premise. And then other people would like flesh it out. And so when they couldn't submit movies through others or under pseudonyms, they were like working in like the black market, which essentially meant that any production company that was willing to take the risk could like hire them, but not work, not hire them, right? Everything was happening under the table. Mm -hmm. And Dalton Trumbo was talking about how awful it was as a writer because one, they could pay you nothing, right? You're like, I won a freaking Oscar. I should get paid. And they're like, who else is going to hire you? We're going to give you five bucks. Wow. And you're like, well, I need to feed my family. So I guess I'll take five bucks. You didn't know if they were going to pay you because you have no contract. All of this is happening under the table. Yeah. And you have no influence on how that actually comes to fruition where you would if you were a like actual screenwriter. You may have some influence in like how how it changes over time. Um, so it was a horrible time for all these writers. Most of them didn't go back to writing yeah, because they got blacklisted because they just couldn't find a way to survive through the blacklisting era. How um, long are we talking? I think it was around like, like five years, ten years, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Okay. And so, Dalton Trumbo, he was one of the most famous ones. Um, he won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay in 1953 under a pseudonym. And then in 1956, The Brave One, he wrote the screen story for, which was an Oscar back then, is no longer an Oscar. This is part of why it's no longer an Oscar. What? Uh, I'm sorry, wait. I want to make sure I understand this. He won an Oscar for it, but then, but now it's not recognized as an Oscar? Uh, the category doesn't exist. The Oscar oh, is Oh, okay, okay, okay. Thank you. So there used to be like best uh, screenplay, best screen story, and then best, I think it was original screenplay, adapted screenplay, screen story, which was just like, which one has the most interesting premise, I think. Uh, that one doesn't exist anymore. Okay. He submitted that one under Robert Rich. So Robert Rich wins. And no one picks up the award. The producers come and accept it on his behalf. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, who is this guy? They're asking the producers. They're like, oh, yeah, this is a guy that, like, 
I met in the war. Like, I, I don't know where he is. Oh and Dalton Trumbo, like in on this joke, is like constantly badgering the press. Like, where is Robert Rich? Who is this guy? If he oh exists, like he needs to come forward and like accept this award. And the idea here was he wanted to make a mockery of the Academy for having blacklisted him and make them look foolish for having blacklisted him and still giving him an award, right? It was the, you would have a bias if this had my name on it. Like you wouldn't give me it. You wouldn't let me be in this movie. You wouldn't allow me to have done this. Yes. But the fact that my name isn't on this and you still gave it to me shows that like, I'm very talented, but two, like screw you guys. Cause you look stupid now. And so he pulled, he kept doing this the entire year. It was like, who is this guy? Like, I've won an Oscar before. Like, what's the deal? Um, all of this. And his thinking with all of this was, look, if we can't, if we can't get the Academy to roll back its blacklisting, we just need to win these awards. And if we can win these awards, this is going to force them to have to stop the blacklisting. Um, wow. Because... Like, what are they going to say? They've given us awards. They can't keep pretending like this is the thing that they should be doing. How long did it take until he acknowledged that he was Robert Rich? So, Michael Wilson. So, this was 1956. Robert Rich wins for The Brave One. 1957, Michael Wilson co-wrote the screenplay for The Bridge on the River Kwai. And... He was blacklisted and uncredited at the time. And the person who was credited for writing this movie, The Bridge on the River Kwai, this movie is in English. The person who won the Oscar for it is the person who wrote the book. The book is in French. And that person only speaks French. So when he accepted the award, he accepted it in French. And Mm. people would be like, oh, so you wrote the screenplay for this movie in English? You can't speak any English? There's nothing weird about this. And so Dalton Trumbo like made a big stink about it again. It was like, yo, this seems weird that this guy who clearly doesn't speak any English apparently wrote a screenplay that's only in English. Um, And then it came out that Michael Wilson had wrote the screenplay because everybody's like, what the F is going on? Like, this clearly is not the case. Right. Um. And it was a mix of those two and him coming out as Robert Rich that, like, helped start to break through it. Uh, Kirk Douglas helped break through it a little bit more, too, because he But that's, like, with... almost 30 years later. Mm-hmm. 30 years they didn't feel safe admitting that they were the writer of these things? No, no, no. Holy shit. No. It, it all came out within, like, years. It wasn't 30 okay, years. Okay, okay, okay. Got it. They didn't get credit like on the actual films until then. But like people knew that they were the ones who had done it. Got it. Yeah. Like Dalton Trumbo didn't get credit for Roman holiday. I think until like sometime in the two thousands, but like like, it still had the fake person on it. Okay. So if we go back to Dalton Trumbo, cause this guy just sounds like a badass. So he, with the brave one that you mentioned and the pseudonym, the pseudonym, pseudonym, Robert Rich, was it like known at the time that it was him? No. So how long did it take until people were like, oh, like two, it was Dalton I think Trumbo. after 
after Bridge on the River Kwai and things started to cool down with like the red scares. Yeah. Then I think he was more comfortable coming out and talking about it and saying yeah. like, you've given it to two blacklisted writers two years in a row. Yeah. Stop this like, shit. Stop it. And like, they still really weren't willing to Kirk Douglas, who was the star of Spartacus had Dalton Trumbo help write Spartacus uh-huh. and made sure that he got credit. Uh-huh. And essentially what happened was the blacklisting kind of just like went away because it wasn't anything that was like, it would have been more work for the Oscars to come out and be like, we're not blacklisting writers anymore because they weren't like officially blacklisting writers. So they couldn't come out and say like, we're not doing this anymore. Right. They just had to like, stop doing it if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. No, it does make sense. So, I love this topic because at first when we started talking about it, I was thinking, wow, what am I so passionate about? I think this is a question for everybody to think about. What are you so passionate about that you would not give two shits if you got the credit for it or not? Mhm. Cuz that's it's it's really beautiful and really compelling that like they they were so passionate, they loved what they did so much that it didn't even matter. But I will say that when you told the story about him being a shit to the media or to the press and, and being like, who is this Robert Rich? I was thinking, okay, there's a little bit of ego in there. You know, like, he oh, no, wants, there's for sure. Ego, like he wants on. people to know, but it does make you pause and think of like, what am I so passionate about that? It wouldn't even matter if I ever got credit for the work, mm-hmm. so to speak, because I just so badly want the work to get out into the world, man. That's how you know you're doing something you love. Okay. I digress. Well, And I think to me, the takeaway here is like they knew that they couldn't win on fair terms. So their their goal was let's win because we know we're the best ones. Yeah. But let's do it and make a mockery of them so that they can't defend this like stupid thing that they're doing anymore. Yeah. It gets me curious how you could apply that same concept to some social justice movements right now. For sure. I think people are doing it. I think comedians are doing it all the time. Oh, yeah. In the media, you know, like, wait a second. Let's look at this. This is not happening the way that it should be. So all that to say, sometimes you have to beat the system from the inside to force it to change. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, sometimes you have to fix things multiple times. Uh, I think we know that in work, like you'll fix a process and it'll break and then you have to fix it again. Or you try to do some initiative and it, it works for a little bit and then it stops working and you need to fire it all up again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shannon and I have managed inventory long enough to know that people <laughs> will tighten their belts for a little bit and then loosen them and then you got to tighten them down again. Yep, need to fix it again. <laughs> so this happened in the Oscars and it, it's kind of fascinating how different the timing was and how it happened multiple times. So they never titled it this, but we can post title at this which is like oscars so old and then in this was like in the 60s it happened again in the early 2000s and then oscars so white which happened like in 2016 and 2017 yep so uh in the 60s they realized that all the voting members were super old and that the oscars were not relevant anymore compared to the movies that were coming out so they came up with the following rules they expanded membership they invited a more diverse group of filmmakers, industry professionals to become members, which included more women and people of color, 
which we'll talk about again very shortly here. Okay. Uh, reviewing membership status. So existing members who were deemed inactive or no longer active in the film industry were reviewed and some were removed. And then in, uh, implementing term limits. So they introduced term limits for its board of governors, which helped bring in fresh perspectives to the top, which allowed for like all this to disseminate. This actually worked. So the 60s were a very very pivotal time for film in that it was all really shifting. It used to go from big, um, big studio pictures to like more indies were kind of taking over and like smaller pictures were starting to become like the thing. Yeah. The Oscars at that point were very much driven by the voting body who was basically just people in the industry. And so if you could convince them to, vote for your film no matter how bad it was you could get nominations if you could get nominations you could then win oscars by doing the same thing so what they did was they got rid of a lot of people who were very old and like were never going to vote for new movies Mm -hmm. uh, based on various criteria i think the most important one was and they did this again in the 2010s but it was like we need to get rid of people who haven't done anything in like the last 30 years so if like you have not been in anything it was like you need to go away like you are no longer yes we understand that you like did one thing 25 years ago but like you're not relevant right now um and when gregory peck did this in the 60s when he was the president of the academy Everybody got like super upset. They're like, you're kicking all the old guys out. Yeah. Like, this is the golden age of Hollywood. You're doing all this. I think when they did it at the end, it was like 12 people they'd kicked out. Sorry, so it was, I have like, no context. 12 on a basis of what? Like a few thousand. Like it's nothing. Oh, it, w- okay. it was nothing. Oh, okay. And I think most of them like wrote him letters. I think it was bigger and like a bunch of them wrote him letters. So he was like, yeah, I don't care. That's fine. You can stay in here. Uh, and so... I think one of them that he kicked out was a nun who like was in an Elvis movie and then never did anything again. And so like she got kicked out. Oh my gosh. But she became a nun. Like, uh, I don't know, whatever. Okay. So that helped reform it in the sixties slightly. Right. And everybody thought it was kind of okay for the next 30, 40 years. And then you get to the 2010s and you get this Oscars so white thing trending because mm-hmm. in 2016, every single uh, acting nomination was a white person. I think the same thing happened in 2017. Every single nomination was a white person. Mm. And so they're like, clearly it's not from a lack of potential uh, nominees that are diverse. It's a lack of, voters and uh, diversity like within the academy and so they invited a significant number of new members including more diverse group of filmmakers and industry professionals in an effort to better represent the broader film industry and global perspectives Uh, it highlighted the lack of racial diversity among the nominees and winners and so they hoped that they could change that and Honestly, they did because the next year, every single winner was a person of color. And so 
it shifted it by just allowing for a more diverse group of people to get nominated and then win. Um, so you know what this yeah. makes me think of? Go ahead. It makes me think of uh, episode, I think it's 167. Yeah, episode 167 where we talked about the art of gathering and how one of the principles in creating a good gathering is being willing to exclude people. And that's what I'm hearing is like the Oscars had to get real or the Academy had to get real of like, well, crap, we need to exclude some people if we actually want to have a relevant, quote unquote, gathering to the times. And that's fascinating to me to just like see that as a real life example in play of where you need to be exclusionary. And I get curious of what other <laughs> committees in our in our world might benefit from some exclusions like this rule of like you have to have actually um, been relevant. Yeah, like you had to have actually <laughs> done something within the last 30 years or something like I'm just thinking about. And I'm probably speaking out of turn, but now I'm motivated to go check out, like, who is sitting on the frickin' PTA? You know, like, is it yep. people that I would hope to God, it's people that actually have kids in the school. But even you think about things like school boards. I know that there are sometimes people who school are sitting boards, on school for boards sure. for sure. where not. it's like you might not even have a kid in that school system. Yeah. Or, like, how do we need to be exclusionary? I, I'm just going to go there. When I think about things like race, like, how do we need to get some white people to stop? <laughs> you know, of like, maybe you need to step off it so that other people can come to the table. I'm really fired up about the PTA because it's like all the moms want to talk about on the bus stop. And I'm like, really? Like, maybe we can not. Maybe we can make some space here for other people to come forward. Because I think we got the white lady perspective covered. <laughs> But you remember, it's it's all opportunity cost, right? Like, so people who have the ability or the social ability to take on additional work are going to get those things. Where, like, yeah, empowering more minorities is more difficult based on maybe their social status or their freeness to join those types of things. Okay, and this might be another awkward chain and tangent that Rami can edit out later. But honestly, I had this dilemma. Did I tell you that I've, I'm have i head dance mom for Talia's dance group no. this year? Okay, so I'm head dance mom. And is is that an inclusive word? Should it be dance parent? It's I not an inclusive to, word. Because I take Prince to dance yeah. for his hip hop. Nate hates it. He has been on Miss Kenyal to change it, but, but she's not changing it. Sorry, this <laughs> so, is like a thing? It's like written down in places and I they mean, call it? It is what it isn't. But like, yeah, it is. it's like, yeah, it's called, no, it's called the Dance Moms Group online. Anyway, yeah, Rami's booing this. So anyway, so I said when they asked me to be the head dance mom, I was like, I feel a little bit funny about this because I'm the only white parent in this group. And this just, I don't love how this feels. Like to have a white person telling all of these very talented, capable black moms what to do every freaking week. Um... But what helped me shift my perspective was what they said. They were like, no, no, no. Like, really, though, like, we need you to do that. Like, you would be doing a service. Because think about it. Like, a lot of the other dance moms are single moms. Like, they're single moms. Like, I don't – they have different circumstances than I do. So, it's like – so, instead of viewing it – I was telling myself a story of, like, oh, but they're going to feel like I'm this white lady bossing them around or telling them what to do. It's like, no. Like, how can I be in support of them? Like, my role as the leader is not to, like – 
taskmaster, like get my clipboard out and make sure they're doing their shit. But instead to be like, what questions do you have? How can I support you? And like making sure you're ready. Anyways, it it is it is an interesting dynamic, if I can just name that. Maybe That's I'm, I'm saying, the one like, making I think it's, it weird. <laughs> I think it's hard to force more diversity in those things because the opportunity cost is very high. Totally. And that's what helped me step into it. But I am. It's shocking how mindful I try to be for what it is, you know, like it's like it's not that big of a deal, but it is really important to me to set a different tone to establish a different relationship. Anyways, I digressed. What's up next in this episode, Rami? Uh, okay. The last one is even the absolutely worst idea could have some golden nuggets. Uh, Alan Carr will talk about his 1989, uh, Oscars, which were the 61st annual Academy Awards. We're like a real reckoning for the Oscars. Alan Carr is this like big boisterous person. He produced Grease. He had a ton of money, uh, very flamboyant, um, person. He would throw these lavish parties in his disco at his house. And people were like, we should hire him to do the Oscars. In the late 80s, the Oscars were already starting to get kind of campy. I mean, everything was kind of campy in the 80s. The Oscars were getting campy. He took it like way too far and was unwilling to kind of pull back. And really pushed that it was his Oscars the entire time, thinking it was like a great idea and it was not. Ugh. And so when it all imploded, it was like, oh yeah, no, you kept saying it was you, Alan. So like, w- we know that it was you. Uh, it was the, the opening number had Snow White, who they did not get permission from Disney to have an actress portray. So Disney oh, like, sued them. Oh, snap. They sued them? Oh yeah. Because they're like, Okay, but Shannon, let me tell you why. Because she, like, went out with all the, like, Brat Pack, and they, like, did this whole horrible singing and dancing number that was, like, a disgrace to everyone involved. Uh, And Disney was like, this is actively hurting our brand because of how embarrassing this situation is. So that's why they sued them. I want to try to go find a clip of that online. You can find the whole opening. It's like 10 minutes and it's so excruciating. Rob Lowe sings a duet with her. He cannot sing. Um, The whole thing is bad. The whole thing is bad. And it's what year was that? 1989. Uh, Yeah. If you type in Alan Carr Oscars or 61st Academy Awards opening or just Snow White Oscars, you will see hopefully... Uh, Walt Disney accepting his award for Snow White before this, but you'll likely see this like horrible opening number. Oh, snap. I just Googled 1989 Snow White Oscars, and the first video that pops up is the 11 minutes that ruined Hollywood producer Alan uh-huh. Carr. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Snap. So that clearly destroyed his career, and it was a absolutely the worst idea. But there's a lot of things that came from that Oscars that we still do today. Uh they shifted the phrase to and the Oscar goes to in that Oscars. They're oh. like, we want to be very, very specific and use the word Oscar. And so we're going to say and the Oscar goes to like that's from this Oscars. So that still happens today. That was accepted as a. What did they thing. used to say? I think in the winner is or the, the word. Oh, goes OK, to. OK. 
but they shifted it to and the Oscar goes to like if you listen to the Oscars now they very prominently say that so that happened here that was like a a um, a shift the second piece was because he was so into fashion and he was like working with all the designers the designers wanting stars in their fashion started at this Oscars so the idea of like who are you wearing uh, which should be asked to both genders and both yes. genders should be able to answer this question. I feel like the men are always dopey and they're like, I don't know. It's they like, just they say, know. You know. I have never seen a guy say they didn't know. Um, so that didn't happen before this Oscars. Designers wanting the stars in their fashion to like show them off. And then the red carpet show and having an actual red carpet. Okay, so two things. The actual red carpet did not exist before the show. He was like, we're going to roll out a red carpet and it's going to oh, be like the show. Fancy. Which now you're like, oh, they just do a red carpet with Oscars. It's like they've been doing that forever. Yeah. Started with this Oscars. And then the like red carpet show before the ceremony was like it used to be like a two minute like super clip of, oh, here are all the people showing up. And now it's like an hour or two hours before it of like, Oh, you're nominated. It's your first time. Like, how do you like the whole thing because of this Oscars, that was an absolute disaster. (laughs) So lots of, lots of golden nuggets can come from the absolute worst ideas. Yeah. If you look hard enough and you can find them. I love that. I don't think you could look that hard. This thing was a implosion, but like some good things came out of it, which is good. Yeah, I'm just thinking about applying it to our own lives, you know, like uh, if I have a workshop that I don't think I have a workshop that goes like really badly, but, you know, like I didn't feel great about it or something or an Instagram story that I didn't feel great about. It's like, can I find the gold in it? Because sometimes we don't even want to look at it. You know, we're like, oh, "Oh, I wish I would have never done that. It's like, no, like take take a minute. Go back and look to see if you can find the golden nuggets. Yes, Uh, that's everything I've got. So I think. For me, it's one, I want to talk about the Oscars for 35 minutes, so that worked. (laughs) Um, But I think there's a lot of things that we can apply to our work, to our lives from the history of the Oscars, just because it's been going on for so long, right? Like, it's almost 100 years worth of Oscars. And so I'll just hit on my, my three big pieces here, which are sometimes you have to beat the system to change the system. Uh, sometimes you need to fix things multiple times because the fix wasn't good enough or times have changed and they need to be readdressed. And even the absolutely worst idea could have some golden nuggets coming out of it. I love it. This was a great episode. This was fun. Okay. With that, we'd love for you to connect with us on Instagram or LinkedIn. What do we want them to share with us, Rami? I want to know, uh, which of these you resonate with and if there's something that like you immediately come to mind with like an example of. Oh, I love it. Well, with that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami and this has been Workplace Hugs. Mm-hmm.